Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors, congregational care ministers, or CCMs for short, and church laity to create a culture of care in the church and community. I am Reverend Joy Dister Dominguez, your host and producer of this podcast, and season five is all about the intersection of care and social justice. Today's episode is the second part of my conversation with Reverend Rachel Bachman. My goodness, she is a trailblazer, a prophet, and true witness to God's love and grace. Reverend Rachel is a senior pastor at Oak Lawn United Methodist Church in Dallas, Texas. She is a sixth-generation United Methodist minister. She has such rich stories of fantastic ministry that she and her congregation are doing, ways that um, they are witnessing in the Dallas area and including in their care, in their midst, into the body of Christ, those who are without homes, physical homes, because certainly she makes a space for home, for all people to have a home in the church. She shares remarkable stories, and I'm incredibly grateful for this part two of our conversation. Take a listen. So in the last six years of your intentional work in this area, have laws been changed? Have there been exceptions made? Or what progress do you see um, in, in that area? Yeah, I feel like, um, uh, well, the the long the the short answer is yes. Laws have been changed. Yes, exceptions have been made, and um, and we have made I think a lot of progress. Um, more so, we've really established some collaborations between city officials, shelter directors, faith communities police department, fire department. I mean, collaborations that never existed before. And those are everything. Mm -hmm. And, and they don't, they don't just exist on freezing nights anymore either. Yeah. Um, They exist all the time. Wonderful. And it helps us all be better for each other. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the first things we learned was we wanted to draw everybody together that might help us learn something because we knew nothing. We just said, okay, doors open, come on in. I mean, we prepared a lot more than that being a little tongue in cheek, but, um, but we definitely knew we weren't the experts. And so we drew on the expertise of the area shelter directors in city and, um, got their input. We brought them all around the table together at Oak Lawn and learned pretty quickly that these are, these are people who are all doing very similar work. Um, but who aren't in connection with each other, who weren't collaborating with each other. And that was because they were really um, kind of unintentionally pitted against each other because they're Hmm. all vying for the same dollars. Oh, wow. Okay. Federal dollars. Sure. I'm, I'm really, um, 
honored now to be serving on the board that actually dis disseminates those dollars for the federal government, because every city that receives federal funding um, to assist with homelessness and um, low income housing and things like that, uh, it's basically all of the HUD funding that's distributed in cities has to happen through a continuum of care board that oversees it. And so um, working in that arena now, I can differently understand how the dynamics that were at play then um, occurred. And so, so, but it was truly a game changer just to be all at the same table and having conversation together and coming up with ideas and solutions. Um, we went and studied other cities around the country, large cities that did have emergency plans, emergency inclement weather plans, and talked about and looked at what worked about those, what could be possible for us um, related to those, what really wouldn't be possible for us connected to those, you know, and so um, we really sought to learn from those best practices and then create some of our own that would uh, fit and suit us as a city. Um, at that time, we also very intentionally drew in our um, county commissioner or some of our um, city council members and things like that, just to begin to have this dialogue together and find out a way to plan a, <laughs> make a city plan for inclement weather. And uh, it took five years to establish an emergency plan. Wow. It took five years and a lot of activism sure. and a lot of advocating and a lot of keeping it right in front of everybody. Mm -hmm. And so you said, you see me on the news and, and that that's a, it's sometimes a controversial, um, point of, you know, um, connection in this is that. I've been a very willing participant in talking to news media um, because, well, I learned pretty quickly that that was a free way to get the word out. And um, I kind of have a speech that I used the very first night that I allowed news media to be on site and cover this that I still give today. And that is to enter the space and let everybody know that XYZ news outlet is here. Um, I've invited them in and allowed them to be here to interview me for these reasons. And these reasons are important. Um, one is that the off chance that someone who is experiencing homelessness and needs a warm place to be tonight might see this and know that they can come here. Hmm. Um, two, none of this work happens without volunteers. We are not a funded organization. We need the support of a lot of different things, including supplies and volunteers and resources that people watching this news story might learn about and be able to provide. And so with those two things in mind, I am going to do this news story and I invite you to sit where you are and be in the background of this newscast, or if you need to not be, that you can move over here. And, um, and that's been very well received and respected by um, those receiving shelter. And I think it's been an important way to continue to tell the story, especially in a world where I can't afford to put that story out by myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
When you think of the relationships that you've built with those who are unhoused over the last, just say six years, what story sticks out to you? What story of transformation that that continues to um, live in your heart and mind, knowing I am doing, I'm doing good. I am, I'm helping in the transformation of this person. Is there anyone that specifically uh, stands out for you? Um, I mean, yes, a lot of them do. I have their pictures around my office, just like I have my children and my grandparents and my parents. I mean, that's, it's just, these are, these are my people and these are the people I love. So yeah, absolutely. Their stories stick out. All of their stories stick out to me Mm -hmm. and, um, and there's their stories and the reality of their lives, um, are as important as any other member of my congregation. Um, I'd say definitely ones that ones that stick out are the ones that have become housed, um, because those are, those are exciting moments of celebration, but I don't want to overplay that because, um, I've been through a lot of occasions and opportunities to help someone be housed. Um, but to be really honest, it oftentimes doesn't, um, doesn't hold, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. doesn't hold for a long time because, um, to just tell you celebration stories about that and let it be, wouldn't be really being honest. I mean, that's, um, homelessness is far more complex than that. Absolutely. Homelessness is not generally a, um, choice that someone makes or, Mm -hmm. uh, an easy switch back and forth or an easy answer. Mm -hmm. It's also not something that money can solve by itself. Sure. Um, the, the biggest, um, the biggest cause generally of those experiencing homelessness, especially chronic homelessness, uh, is mental health mm-hmm. and, um, mental health is such a significant part of, uh, of my life and experience of ministry, uh, especially with those who are unsheltered mm-hmm. and, um, and to be really honest, most people in this world are only, a couple of, um, life events away from that. Yeah. And so, um, to kind of move on about our day and our privilege thinking that, um, that is something that they experience for some toward reason is, um, is really off base. Mm -hmm. And, um, so to really know people's story and understand what, um, what has brought them to this place has been really life-changing for me. Um, one, uh, one woman, I, we have some stories out about, you can, sure you can Google it and, and find stories about her, um, Billie Jean. She's an amazing, an amazing woman who is, um, housed now and active member of our congregation. She's wonderful. She received our, uh, Harry Denman evangelism award in the North Texas annual conference for, um, the evangelism work that she does through our ministry. And, uh, she is definitely an easy success story always to point mm-hmm. to celebrate mm-hmm. her, um, even in her ongoing struggles and challenges with health and mental health and family and, um, and, and her own experiences of trauma. Um, those are all very real and they don't mm-hmm. go away. 
Sure. And they might change for a night, but tomorrow they might be right back, Mm -hmm. you know, being, um, being something she has to, to shout down in order to put one foot in front of the other. And so it's an ongoing relationship that is needed every time uh, I tell a success story. It's an only a success story. If I'm still engaged, if I'm still there, we're still doing this work together Mm -hmm. and working every day to be healthy and whole Mm -hmm. and, and to be constantly in a healing journey. And so, um, I, I would say that probably one of my, my most, um, connected places that I felt to, uh, a person that I've worked with, his, uh, name was Michael Stevenson. He's since passed away. Um, he, um, he died while experiencing homelessness. Um, but he, lived on our campus, um, from the day I arrived until the day he passed away. Mm. Um, and we had a very close relationship and, um, he loved to read. He loved to do puzzles. Um, he loved bookmarks and I have lots of bookmarks from him (laughs) and, um, the sweetest man you'll ever meet. Um, the community really loved him, surrounded him, supported him. We had a beautiful, um, funeral for him when he died, but towards, you know, towards the end of life for him, he did experience an increased number of physical challenges, including, you know, some struggles with his feet and, and things that just, um, pretty commonly or naturally happen when you, um, are unsheltered that, um, that are caused because you can't do things that we are used to doing, um, like cleaning and taking care of our bodies. Mm-hmm. And so, um, there were a number of times when I called uh, 911 or needed some medical assistance to move him because he couldn't. And, um, and he always knew the right, um, answers to the questions to not be taken to the hospital, <laughs> um, because he didn't want to be a burden on anyone ever. And, uh, and so when it got really to the point that I couldn't help him without someone else helping me, um, I just had a really serious heart to heart with him. And I asked him to trust me and to, to know that I wouldn't leave him there because he knew that if he got taken to the hospital, he would really have a hard time getting back home Mm -hmm. to Oguan, um, without some help. And so he was so resistant to go because he didn't want to be, he didn't want to be abandoned there. Mm. And, um, so I, I promised not to have that happen and that I asked him to trust me and he did. And he trusts me to, um, get to the hospital and he got to the hospital. Um, but I walked into the ER and I stayed with him. Um, I claimed my space um, as the point of connection for him that I was, and that made a big difference. And, um, and I have a different, uh, relationship, I believe, and level of respect with the people that we work with, um, at Parkland than I would have otherwise. And, um, and most importantly, he trusted me. And I know that that trust uh, made a difference. Um, We do a thing in Dallas where we uh, offer an all saint service for um, 
our unsheltered community every year. Mm -hmm. And we recognize everyone who died in the last year who was experiencing homelessness. And um, it's an overwhelming service. It's an overwhelmingly beautiful and tragic and heart-wrenching and uplifting all at the same time kind of worship service. Um, because, because we're naming names that otherwise wouldn't be named. We're lifting up a name and naming it to God when it otherwise would have been invisible. Yeah. Um, there's both tragedy and, um, beauty in that commingled in a way that's kind of inexplicable. Yeah. And, um, and it's probably one of the most important worship services I think that I experience in a year. Wow. What holy space. Yeah. I think what's so important for people to hear is that um, working for social justice, working for change, especially in the arena of, of those who are unhoused, it's not, it's not a transaction. It's not um, a service. It's not a handout. It's about relationship. Um, it's about honoring the Imago Dei. It's about um, the value that each person has and being in community with um, and that service too. And I think that's really important. That's what I continue to hear in your stories and what a, what a holy space that Oquan has become, especially in honoring every sacred life, um, knowing that the mental health concerns, like you said, don't go, they don't just go away just because you um, have shelter that's stable, uh, that struggle, that trauma that doesn't end. You don't just heal from that overnight. And what a beautiful place to be the body of Christ, to be in relationship with people, knowing this is not just, you know, all right, we checked this person off our list and now we are able to serve the next person. Like you continue to be in relationship with that person and, and look at that. It's evident with the, the trust that you're able to build. And I think I, I really hope that people hear that uh, and that it just takes time though. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious what, what scriptures inspire you uh, throughout all of this. You talked about displaced people and I can think of so many in scripture, but what, what's most important to you in your work? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's the whole Bible, <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's whatever it's about, but I guess that's the way it goes with your calling, right? It, whatever is so ingrained in you, you begin to hear in every yeah. um, aspect of scripture. But I think probably, I mean, as I've already mentioned, Hebrews 13 is really significant mm -hmm. for me and has continued to even be more so as time has gone on. Um, certainly Matthew 25, I mean, the sheep and the goats passage and the ways that it varies so, so specifically and so succinctly kind of points to the time when you saw me hungry and you gave me something to eat and the time that I was a stranger and you invited me in mm -hmm. when I was needing clothes and you clothed me when I, when I was in prison and you visited me. I mean, all these are, all these point to, I think a very simple truth. And that is that 
this is the way we love. Mm -hmm. This is the way we embody Christ's presence in the world. This, this is when you did that. When did I do that? When you did this, that's when you did that. That's when you saw me. That's when you knew me, claimed me and loved me. And when we interact on a daily basis with our unsheltered population, um, they have names (laughs) and we know their names and that is important. They know my name. Um, and I want them to know my name. They know my children's names. They know, they, they know me through and through. And, um, and I believe that is sacred. I believe that is holy. I think being in relationship, just as you named, um, it is the, it is the simple thing that I believe that scripture points to, mm-hmm. um, is this question back and forth of when did you see me hungry? When did you see me a stranger or naked and in need of clothes? When did you visit me in prison? Yes, absolutely. When you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. Wow. Yes. Thank you. So our listeners are all around the country internationally as well. And perhaps there are some people who are not able to, to visibly see as they go to and from the grocery store to and from work um, or in their time of play, they may not see unhoused persons. Um, why should you mentioned a little bit why they should care. I mean, scripture, right? Um, what are things that they can do? What are things that that um, people who may not have homelessness on their radar right now, um, what what can they do in their own communities? Some, some simple practical things they can do this week, but then also the, the work toward justice. And then what does justice look like? Um. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I'm trying to imagine those places where I am completely unaware of homelessness. Um, Chances are, if you find that to be true for you, if that, if that part resonates with you, then I would say, open your eyes again, because chances are someone around you is displaced in some way. Someone around you is poor or experiencing um, lack. I, I, I just, I, in the most affluent places in the world, I haven't, um, I haven't been where I couldn't see that there was need in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think step one, open your eyes again. Mm-hmm and see who God sees, love who God loves and open your heart to a willingness to recognize that God has work for you to do. And, um, and it, that work will look differently for everyone. Um, I think that there's, um, as I named kind of in the beginning of our time, there are people displaced all over the world. And they're displaced for a lot of different reasons and their displacement looks different. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think 
you know, refrain from making assumptions about that, Mm -hmm. but instead look for the ways that you can um, embody Christ's presence, um, be a, be a place of welcome and hospitality and help create home. Mm-hmm. Because um, I, I particularly don't like the word homelessness because I don't think anybody needs to be without home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They might be without houses. Sure. Um, but as long as I'm here, as long as the church is here, as long as God is here, as far as I'm concerned, nobody needs to be without home. Mm-hmm. Earlier, you said you were talking about welcoming um, persons in the doors. But one thing that I, I want to point out when you talk about creating a home, especially within the body of Christ, you, you not only welcome persons who are unhoused, but you include them in the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important too. They're on the, the church council. They serve in the church uh, right alongside um, um, people who have been there maybe generations, right? <laughs> And I, I think that's important. You're not only welcoming, but you're including. Um, and, and to me, that is honoring, uh, honoring the sacred worth that each person is. Absolutely. And we're, we're better for it. Um, they Amen. have a lot, they have a lot of value. Um, to add, so that's beautiful. Well, we are out of time. I appreciate all the great work that you're doing, Reverend Rachel. And Um, we will continue to lift you up in prayer and I will be sure to include your church website in our show notes so that people can, um, can reach out if they have further questions or ways that they, um, can continue this great work in their own communities. Thank you. It's a great honor to be with you. Blessings on your ministry. joining us and I certainly hope that you will tune in next week as we continue our conversation with another topic all about the intersection of care and social justice and why we should care. Also, if you are interested in joining us for our next webinar, our fall webinar will be October 14th and 15th. You can register for this on our website, thecaringcongregation.com. Also, we have tons of free resources Um, that we would love to help uh, equip your care ministry team or your pastors who are working in the arena of care. Or if you're just a regular old churchgoer, these are excellent resources that can help you create a culture of care in your circles of influence. So if you're in a Sunday school class or if you're in a small group and you want to know how you can care better, how you can care deeper, I invite you to check out our website, thecaringcongregation.com. We all have a responsibility to care, and we can all contribute to the life of the church, to the body of Christ, to, to witness to God's love by being a caring congregation. And so I hope that you'll check that out. And be sure to share this podcast with your pastor, with your friends. Be sure to like us, um, give us the rating, and uh, it just helps people find us in the algorithms. So we look forward to joining you next week for another topic. Until then, may God bless you and keep you.